The Lord calls us to worship from Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Amen. heaven, we cry out to you this morning as your people, praying, Lord, that you would allow us to see you high and lifted up, as we read in the book of Isaiah this morning, and as Isaiah tried to explain what it was like to see the beauty of the temple and being in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would allow us, your people, to see you today. Give us eyes and ears of faith and hearts that will be willing to listen and to believe the word of the gospel. Lord, may we lift up your name, may we glorify you, may Jesus be the focus of our hearts and our attention, and may you be the reason, Jesus, that we worship this morning, singing praises to you. And Lord, we pray now, joining our hearts together as your people, as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in your hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. Let's continue to worship singing hymn number 598, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. Thou art thy. 
seated. And the children can come forward for the children's sermon. something that you're going to hear later in the sermon, but I want to begin by asking you a question, and I have to say I was hoping that a certain little someone would be here this morning, (laughs) because I'm going to start by asking you if you had to be able to pick, if you could pick a superpower, (laughs) what would it be? You only get to have one, okay? So one one superpower. Go ahead. To have gills. Say it again. To have gills. Gills? All right. Danny? To be fast. To be fast. Yes. To be invisible. Anybody else? Caleb? To be able to fly. To be able to fly. Anybody else have one? Abby? Make people happy. To make people happy. Hmm. Today's the day we celebrate that, because moms have that superpower, don't they? They sure do. I want to talk with you about a superpower that I believe Jesus wants you to have, and you're going to hear a lot more about it later in the sermon, but as we read in Matthew chapter 7, I believe Jesus wants you to have a superpower to be able to see into the future right now. He wants you to be able to look at life. Life that you have right now. How many of you are five? Nobody's five? Don't Yep. So, what about six? Or seven? Anybody eight? Or nine? Ten? Anybody ten? Or eleven? Twelve? Anybody twelve? I believe Jesus wants you to be able to see, even at the age that you are right now, That there are things in life that you do right now that matter even into eternity. We sang a song this morning in assembly about the life that we live right now that is measured by years. But do you know that one day you will be living and there will no longer be time? It will no longer be measured by how old you are or how many days you've lived. And you won't talk about things that happened years ago because you will be living in eternity. You will be living in eternity, and if you believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him, then you will be living with Him in heaven forever, and you will never be apart from Him. And I told you I believe He wants you to have the superpower to be able to see that there are things that you believe and things that you do now in life that absolutely matter for eternity. You might think, well, that's a long that's a long ways away. I'm not even an adult yet. I'm not even 12 yet. But... The things that you do today, the decisions that you make today, absolutely have an impact on how you will think and how you will even believe, even a year from now. So, I'm going to pray for you this morning that the Lord would give you super vision to see the truth and reality of life. That when you read the Bible, you wouldn't read it and think, oh, these are just words on a page. Jesus says that they are words of life to us. And I'm going to pray that He would help you to see that and to know it, okay? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you 
for your word that you give us. That it is true and real and that it is the most relevant good news that we could read. Lord, I pray for our covenant children this morning that you would give them eyes of faith. That supernaturally they would be able to see into the future. See and know that eternity is not something that is far off. It's not something that comes later when I grow up. It is something that I could step into even today. Lord, I pray that you would give them great faith and hope and trust in you. And Lord, I pray for our covenant children that you would make your word come alive in their hearts and in their minds. That as they read it, that their hearts would burn and that their imaginations would see and behold things in the beauty of Christ that you have for them as their Heavenly Father. In your name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, please turn in your hymnal to page 808. We're going to be reading a portion of Psalm 68 together. On page 808, we'll be reading Psalm 68, verses 1 through 20. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. May God arise, may His enemies be scattered, may His foes flee before Him. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. Sing to God, sing praise to His name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. The Lord announced the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Even while you sleep among the campfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. The mountains of Bashan are majestic mountains, rugged are the mountains of Bashan. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into His sanctuary. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior 
who daily bears our burdens. Let's continue to worship as we stand together singing hymn number 32, Great is Thy Faithfulness. now to pray and to lift up our hearts and our petitions to you. Lord, we do so confessing our hope and our belief in you, in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to live a sinless life, who gave his body willingly to be beaten and bruised and broken on the cross, who was laid in a borrowed tomb and then rose victoriously over the grave. Lord, it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we come and pray to you now. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you, the things that ache in us, the griefs that we carry, 
Though we may put on a smile on our face, there are many of us today whose hearts are weighed down with cares and concerns. And Lord, I pray for your people, and we join our hearts together praying now that you would, Lord, be a comfort to those who are weary, that you would bind up those who are brokenhearted, that you would let them see that it is you who carries them, and that they are not condemned to carry the cares of this world on their own. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be the comforter that you promised you would be by your Spirit, that you would be with your people, that you would carry them and guide them, show them the ways in your word that you are faithful, as we just sang an anthem to you of your faithfulness to us as your people. Lord, I pray that you would do that in our homes. Lord, we give thanks to you today for the unspeakable blessing of our mothers. We praise you and we thank you for their love and their dedication, for their tireless faithfulness in our homes and in this church. Lord, we thank you for the ways that they give sacrificially, demonstrating the love of the Lord Jesus in our homes. Lord, we thank you for them as our wives, as our mothers, as aunts, as grandmothers, as sisters, mothers-in-law. Lord, we thank you for giving us family and for showing us the love of Jesus in our mothers. Lord, I pray for those today whose hearts ache because they cannot hold their mother, they cannot say, I love you. And for those who would long to hear Happy Mother's Day from children who you have taken home to be in heaven with you. Lord, I pray that you would be very close to those mothers today, that they would have a sense of your power and presence, that you are not surprised that their children's life may have ended shortly on this earth, but that they live to all eternity in your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would be with your people today. And as we continue to worship and singing and hearing your word preached and read, Lord, I pray that you would join our hearts together in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name, amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. A very special thank you to Katie for your beautiful singing this morning. Matthew chapter 7, we'll be reading verses 13 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. The sermon is entitled this morning, Two Paths and Two Trees. Jesus is finishing his Sermon on the Mount with four sets of pairs to show us that there are only two ways to live. Not just two ways to live sometime in the future, but two ways to live now. This might sound simple, but Jesus is saying and emphasizing with these four pairs that there are only two options to choose from. And how wonderful that Jesus has narrowed it down to this. Think about all the things that you decided even this morning. Down to the shirt you would wear or the pants that you would put on. Praise the Lord that Jesus makes this less complicated. Growing up has taught us some things I think that are timeless. And they likely were taught in your home as they were taught in mine. That there are two things, right and wrong, clean and dirty... Heaven and hell, male and female, light and dark, life and death. These are fixed points that don't change with the passage of time or the rushing waves of popular opinion. Nothing, nothing at all could have more crucial significance than following the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at this passage this morning, this morning I want to do so under three headings. First, the illustrations that Jesus is giving us. Secondly, the deceptions. And lastly, the choice. Number one, the illustrations. They are fairly simple. He says there are two paths. One that is narrow, that few people actually find. And one that is broad, that Jesus says is crowded. You can picture a a gate going into a field or going up to a road. And the one that follows Jesus, he says, goes through a narrow gate on a narrow way. And the one who does not follow Jesus goes through a broad gate and walks on a broad way. There's plenty of room. You might even call it broad way. There are two trees that he speaks about. One that is good, that produces good fruit, and it is destined to live. And one that is bad and that is destined to be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
And he also, in the midst of this, speaks about those who teach God's Word. He said there are those who are false teachers, who do not teach the truth even though they may put on sheep's clothing and look like everyone else. Inside they are ravenous wolves who have no desire to preserve the church or her people or her peace and purity and who would rather lead astray God's people for the sake of their own popularity or their benefit. And woe to them, Jesus says. These two illustrations that Jesus gives are quite clear. They are real choices. Real choices about the way that we live our life. Things that are hidden and how they are revealed. They illustrate truth and companionship and also our destinies. What you are destined to do for all eternity. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about making a decision about where do you want to have lunch today? Do you want to have it at home or or somewhere else? These are significant weighty things. The one ends in life and good fruit. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven and is characterized by stability. The other ends in destruction, bad fruit, and actual fire. Exclusion from the kingdom of God along with all other evildoers. And ruin. Eternal ruin. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about discipleship. How you live your life. Not what you do on Sunday morning. Not the clothes that you put on on Sunday morning to look your best. But who we are on the inside. Our discipleship with the Lord Jesus. The discipleship that Jesus requires is absolute. It is, it is radical in a sense that it gets to the root of our human relationships with one another and with God. A person either enters the kingdom or he does not. He walks on the road that leads to life or he walks the road that leads to destruction. There is no third alternative. And that's why D.A. Carson said, and I'll read it again, that nothing, nothing at all, could have more crucial significance than following Jesus. Even if today this is far from being a universally admitted truth, and many people think that all things are relative, which is a statement about things that are not relative. If all things are relative, you are making an absolute statement by saying that. Even though this may not be universally admitted to be the truth, one day all men without exception shall confess and some of them, to their everlasting grief. It is a grave thing to read God's Word and to hear it. We are responsible for what we hear and what we understand, and to have God's Word open to us this morning that we might read and hear it and understand it. Praise God that He has given it to us. But also, please, Lord, fill us that we would hear and understand it and believe and live by it. These are not blessed suggestions. This is the blessed truth of the Lord Jesus Christ that gave His life for us. So, first, the two illustrations. The two paths and the two trees. And secondly, we'll spend a little more time here this morning on the deceptions. Because I believe this is where many of us live and where some of us stumble. I'm going to give you ten of them this morning. And there are probably many more. But I'm going to leave the last one blank because I want you to fill it in. I'm going to give you nine deceptions about the way that we live. Nine deceptions about the way that we believe about life. What it means to go to work tomorrow or to get up and have to take care of children at home and do another week of school or finish up the last week of school. How we decide to spend our money and relate to one another. 
what we're going to do tonight before we go to bed. All of these things are significant and important. So, ten deceptions. Number one, that there is a third option. That there's another alternative. I can either choose God, 100% be ultimately sold out to Him, walk in His ways every day of my life, looking to Him for grace and hope, or I can turn away from God and not love Him, not serve Him, not give a dime to the church as a demonstration of my love for Him and gratefulness to Him, not give in service at all, not love my neighbor as myself, as Jesus said, in His ethic in the kingdom. Or there's a third option. I can do a little bit of both. I can serve Jesus and myself. That's a deception. A deception that I believe our enemy wants us to believe and to understand and take it into ourselves and believe you don't have to be on fire for Jesus like those fanatical Christians. He doesn't need every part of your life. If you give Him Sunday, it's enough. It's enough. What is a deception? I want to give you a definition. And I know that you know this, so it's more of a reminder than anything. To deceive is to cause to accept as true or valid what is false and invalid. To make someone believe something that is not true. To practice deceit. Isn't that why we teach our children not to lie? Because we want them to know the truth. But isn't deception, self-deception, telling ourselves things that we know aren't true? So that maybe our consciences won't feel so bad. Or maybe we won't have to live with the reality of what life really is. There are some interesting synonyms to the word deceive. To mislead, to delude, to beguile. It means to lead astray or to frustrate, usually by underhandedness. That is an awful way to live and relate to other people. To deceive implies imposing a false idea or to believe or belief that causes ignorance, bewilderment, or helplessness. He tried to deceive me about the cost of something. Have you ever thought that? To mislead implies leading astray that may or may not be intentional. Well, I didn't mean to tell you it wasn't true. I didn't know that it wasn't. To delude implies deceiving so thoroughly as to obscure the truth. To keep repeating over and over again something that's not true to the point that you actually believe that it is and start making choices about life that way. We were deluded into thinking that we were safe. Some have said. To beguile means to stress the use of charm and persuasion in deceiving. We have an enemy who... Works. This is his way that he works to deceive God's people. There is not a third way to live. You love the Lord and follow him with all of your heart by his grace and the power that he puts in you by his spirit, or you do not follow him. Those are the two options. No matter what anybody tells you, and if anyone says there's another way to follow Jesus, except 100% by faith, Through His grace and the finished work of Jesus, they are a liar. And they're not telling you the truth. They are who Jesus says here as a false prophet. Even if they claim to speak for God, Jesus says there is only one way to live. Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. God's word is true. You can stake your whole life on it. Deception number two. As you think about the broad way, 
and the easy gate that opens up that lets many people in. That many people, that number of people in life can't be wrong. It's not possible for that many logical, sensible, smart people to be wrong about life. It can't be possible that that many folks could be wrong. Are you serious? That the Bible is this narrow-minded. That it really is true. That there are only a few who find the way to the narrow way of life that leads to joy and fulfillment in Christ. Not for happiness and good things. Are you serious? Let me ask you, Christian. I asked you a moment ago, what is it that you believe? Let me ask you, are you prepared to stand alone? If the whole crowd goes through the gate, are you prepared to stand alone and wait until you find that narrow one to walk on with your Lord Jesus guiding you every step of the way? Deception number three. All roads lead to the same place. We're all trying to get to heaven. Brother Matthew, could you please give us a break? We're all going there. We're all pushing that way. All roads lead to the same place after all. D.A. Carson and Sinclair Ferguson, in speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly this passage, both agree on one thing, almost 100%. They say that deception abounds when you look at life and anything about it and don't view it in light of eternity. Think about anything in life that bothers you. Think about your, your finances or your family or your marriage or your children, raising them, and all the work that it is, Mom. If you think about all of those things and don't think about eternity, your heart will crumble. You'll make a quick decision just to get it off your plate. You'll decide, I just need to move this on to another day and I can go on to something else. I'll come back to it later. But when you think about it in light of eternity, there's something that God has put in a mother's heart. She has patience and grace and willingness to listen to the same question again or even to say the same instruction again. It is a gift that the Lord has given us in our mothers. And you see it, you know it. I've watched it myself. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our homes. Praise the Lord for our mothers. Deception number four is that there is, this is a message that Jesus is speaking, but I believe you've got it off, preacher. Jesus is talking about life after death. He's talking about whether or not I'm going to heaven. And I already made that decision. I want to be with Jesus when I die. This has nothing to do with the here and now. How I live my life is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the gates, the pearly gates, into heaven. He's not talking about the the road that I walk on now. It doesn't matter how I live on Newberry Road, because I'll walk the streets of gold one day. But Jesus is saying, absolutely not, dear one. That how you live now goes to your heart. The way that you think and believe and make choices and decisions. How you relate to people, whether you forgive or not. All of these tend towards how your heart is living and how it will live for all of eternity. Another deception. There's no appeal for God's people for something that is truly bad for me. That if it really were bad for me, it would not appeal to me at all. And yet, brothers and sisters, I say... Look at Eve. If you doubt whether anything that is bad for you, 
should appeal to you or not. It absolutely does. That is our enemy's way. He loves to dangle in front of you what is truly bad for you. Make it look the best that it possibly could and yet use it as an arrow to your heart that you wouldn't have faith and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He would love for you to give in to those things. He wants you to. He's putting them up like serving up a silver platter that you would take them and enjoy them. That they would go to your heart. Maybe you believe this other deception that people are all basically good. We're all pretty good folk around here. But then I ask you, dear brother or sister, based on what standard are you measuring that statement? Is it on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus or the fact that all of us are not people who would go around doing X, Y, Z, whatever the terrible sin you can think of? That if I don't do that, then I must be righteous. And if the people that I love and know and who are around me aren't doing those things, then we're fine. But if the standard of righteousness is walking in Jesus' way, following His path, then certainly the standard is much higher and not everyone is good. Right? And if that's true, then we absolutely shouldn't believe that deception. Another deception, and I think this one has many people, There will be time to deal with Jesus later in life, but not right now. I can deal with Jesus later in life. These matters of eternity, I will have time to work on it after I get done with whatever it is. And you can keep mortgaging that out to the next year. And I promise you, dear one, as Jesus taught later in a different passage, this night your soul may be required of you. You are not promised later. That is a deception from the enemy. You can deal with eternity later. It's not true. The eighth deception. I can love Jesus, but He doesn't have to run my whole life. I don't need Jesus in my relationships or my finances or even how I do church. Thank you very much. I can do all of those things on my own. Jesus is only about eternity, right? Not about the here and now. The ninth deception. My friends who are not Christians seem to have a better life than those who are. And this is why I said what I did to our children this morning in the children's sermon. That the Lord would give them supernatural eyes to be able to see the reality of life in front of them. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, and I know that many of you live it, the Christian life is harder in many ways than it is to not be a Christian. There are things that are difficult But I want to remind you of the things that we have read in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says belongs to those who belong to Him. He says that the kingdom of heaven is ours. That we receive the comfort of the living God. That we inherit the earth. That we are filled with righteousness. That we are the people who receive mercy. That we see God and that we belong to the family of God. Those are just the blessings in Matthew chapter 5. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 19, it says, The way of a lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. As I was reading in Proverbs chapter 15, I couldn't help but read verse 20. And I wanted to read it to you. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. How fitting today on Mother's Day. A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. It is easy to believe these deceptions. 
That is part of the enemy's job is to deceive us, to make us believe things that are not true. I told you I would give you ten. I want you to fill in the last one for you. I want you to think hard today about this. What is the lie, the deception that I'm believing is true and that I've even begun to tell myself that this is reality? To have what is up, down, and what is left, right. Do I believe that this is true? Is Jesus actually saying what is true? Is this reality in the world that He's created? Or is it not? Lastly, the choice. Jesus gave us the choice. He told us, all throughout this Sermon on the Mount. And He says it again today. Either follow Me or don't. It is either complete or it is not at all. There is not an in-between. There is not a way to have your tippy-toes in the world and your tippy-toes in the Kingdom of God. You can't walk that tightrope. It's not possible. You can't. In Matthew chapter 3, I want to read some verses to you. John the Baptist, in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John is saying very clearly there as the last prophet of the Old Testament that there is a judgment day coming. Jesus will sweep clean and His broom will be thorough and those who belong in the kingdom will be in it and it will be their joy and delight to be in His presence. But those who do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who do not walk in His ways now, who do not see Him as Lord now over all of their life, they will spend eternity in unquenchable fire and they will have a sense of it. They will be conscious of it. That is true and real. The Bible says that. That's not me. That's Jesus' words to His people. The tragedy of life is that otherwise reasonable men become so enamored with the spaciousness and the popularity of their path that they take little thought to its destination. You ever gotten out and just rode for a while? That's okay to do if you're on a motorcycle. That's not the way to live life. Should they hear that it leads to destruction, they will deny it, arguing that they are no worse than many others on the same road, and that in any case, God would not permit the destruction of so many people. D.A. Carson says, and he's a very soft-spoken man, he says, let me state emphatically, that the Scriptures do not encourage such optimism. Jesus Himself insists that only the narrow way leads to life. Only the path that seems confining now explodes in the end into vitality and the consummation of the kingdom. We might say there is no other way to life, no other way to avoid destruction than the narrow way. Men will not gain the kingdom by worshiping nature, 
nor by pious sentiment, nor by drifting into salvation without decision and commitment, and still less by hedonism and self-expression. They will enter life by coming under the kingdom's norms, living according to Jesus' standards, and be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Or they will head for destruction. And on this point, Jesus is insisting that you believe the truth. And He says that it is. And that should be enough. It should settle it for us as God's people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank You and praise You that though we are not worthy of these things, that we are not able to live up to this standard, You, Lord Jesus Christ, did that for us. And You offer Your grace freely to Your children that we would walk in Your ways, that we would live the standards of the Kingdom of God by Your Spirit through faith. Lord, I pray that You would work in the hearts of Your people. Lord, help us not to be lulled to sleep by what seems like days that keep on passing and seasons that come and go and years that seem to be on repeat one after the other. There is coming a day when you will either call us home or you will come and judgment will come and it will be sure and quick. And Lord, I pray that you would find us on that day, either the day of our death or the day of your second coming. You will find us being faithful, walking on the road that you have said is narrow. And the path that you said is not necessarily easy. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with grace and faith to do so for your glory and your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 599, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us.
take an offering to the glory of God. heaven as we commit this offering now to you lord we pray that you would use it for the sake of the spread of the glory of the name of the lord jesus christ that people who have not heard the gospel will hear it and that you would call them out of the kingdom of darkness and into your kingdom of light lord we pray also that you would help our hearts that as we give a portion of what you have so freely given and richly given to us that we would have joy in giving and seeing you provide for our families and for our finances. And Lord, I do pray for those who are struggling financially, that you would help them to know very visibly today, even in their giving, that you are faithful, that you own the cattle on a thousand hill, and you don't allow your children to go unfed. In your name we pray. Amen.
again, a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. May you be loved and celebrated today. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may God be your exceeding joy, Christ your unfailing hope, and the Spirit your unfailing comforter in all your worship and work and troubles until Jesus comes. Amen.